if inflation is such a huge problem, then is deflation the answer to it? Or put another way, if we've been plagued by rising consumer prices, then should we welcome consumer prices that are actually falling? Take, for example, food. Food has been an absolute killer, not just here in the U.S., but especially around the rest of the world. High levels of food price acceleration have absolutely destroyed people's purchasing power because it is a basic necessity. But you may not know this, over the last year or so, food prices have been trending downward. There's been a bit of an acceleration in, in that downward trend in food prices recently. Should we look at that and say, this is a good thing? Well, let's start in China. China just released its CPI and PPI numbers for the month of February. February was obviously a very crucial time and very crucial uh, consumer price, producer price estimates in a crucial country. And what they showed for the month of February, first again disappointing, thoroughly disappointing reopening, the CPI was up only 1% year over year, down substantially from the year over year rate in January. On a monthly basis, the Chinese government tells us that the CPI was down half a percent from January to February. Again, so much for reopening. One big reason why, food prices. Food prices in China have been coming down and decelerating for several months. In the month of February, food prices fell by 0.2%, or actually fell by 2% month over month, and were down, or was up 2.6% year over year. That's from a high of around 5 and 6% not that, all long, not that long ago. So food prices in China are contributing a lot less to consumer prices. But it's not just China. We look around the rest of the world. China's merely confirming the trend that I said earlier that we can see in other prices around other countries. Uh, you look at something like the Food and Agricultural Organization of the UN, who puts together a food index or a food price index. And what they've said is that food prices actually, on the wholesale terms, uh, peaked way back in, of course, last March, like a lot of other things. Since then, food prices have been coming down. Deflation with a sharp drop when? In the middle of last year, like a whole lot of other prices, a whole lot of other consumer price pressures that reversed in the middle of last year. And as I said before, according to the Food and Agricultural Organization, food price deflation has accelerated, especially January and February. So that according to their index, uh, food prices in the last three months are down 3.7%. And over the last year, so February 2023 compared to February 2022, food prices are down 8%, a substantial amount. Still elevated, but moving lower. So we have to ask ourselves, if food price acceleration was the killer to the global economy, is food price deflation, for lack of a better term, an answer to all our prayers? Well, when we look around, we look further into China, we look further into food, we may not like the answer. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for tuning in with me, joining me on YouTube as always. If you're interested in going further, the monetary, the financial, all the background educational material that Eurodollar University provides, we have memberships for you. Check it out at eurodollar.university where you can see all the recent stuff that's been uploaded to the member site, the exclusive content that members get. 
We also have Research Subscriptions, a daily briefing I do in partnership with Markets Insider Pro. That's Stephen Van Meter, Tracy Schuchart. Uh, there's a bundle available for you there. And a daily deep dive analysis where we dive deep into the data, the topics, the curves, the markets that are plaguing us or that are doing interesting things today so that we can get better prepared for what we think tomorrow will look like. All the information for you at eurodollar.university. We stick with food first here. And using the uh, Food and Agriculture Organization of the UN's index, what you see is that 8% is a substantial decline, but it's gotten, there's, there's times when food prices have been falling faster. So let's, if we compare now to, that, to those, what does that tell us about the overall impact of falling food prices? Is that a good thing? Can we find good in falling food prices? Because it seems like it should be. Basic necessity, it's been destroying people's purchasing power all around the world. But the, the problem is, why are food prices falling? So if we go back to, say, November of 2018, the, uh, the, U, the UN, the Food and Agricultural Index, or the Food and Agricultural Organization's Index, had fallen by about a 7% annual rate, so that was similar. You go back to the tw year 2015, you see food prices, according to this index, falling at the 20% range. So even more uh, declines in food prices back then. And then before that, you have to go to June of 2012, we saw the food price index falling at a 14% annual rate, so pretty similar to what we see now. And then, of course, you have before then, the early part of 2009 when food prices were falling at a 30 per 30 annual rate and worse so if you if you really you understand what i'm saying here and, and, and recognize those periods we've got 2023 2018 2015 2012 and 2009 really nasty global recessions. So, so far, food prices, falling food prices, those correlate with periods where the economy globally and locally in various places is not doing very well at all. In fact, before 2009, there had been a similar huge run-up in food prices. We've, this is the part of the 2008 Great Recession that's been completely dropped from memory. There was a massive global rise in food prices in 2007, in the first half of 2008, right up until the middle, June of 2008, when suddenly food prices fell off a cliff. And the reason was, like food price declines and food price deflation in the years since, because demand fell off a cliff. So falling food prices, if it's because of falling demand, that is not a good thing. It's a good thing for those who need to feed their families and base, pay for basic necessities, but it's a bad thing in general terms because the circumstances surrounding falling food prices mean higher, higher, higher levels of unemployment, so wider uh, economic and labor misery in that respect, as well as all the other macroeconomic fundamental, fundamentally negatives that are associated with a global recession. But it's not just food prices. Let's look at the other prices starting again with China. China's, the rest of China's CPI, you have non-food prices that fell at a 0.2% month over month rate. So once again, 
Reopening is not going in China the way it is supposed to. It is not even coming close to living up to the hype. In fact, if you look here at the CPI data, as well as the PPI data, what it shows is that China's second reopening, this latest reopening, is starting to look a lot like the first one, which is not a good thing at all, because the first one thoroughly disappointed, fizzled. In fact, it never really showed up to begin with. And more and more as the data comes in, that's what we're seeing out of China in 2023 too. But the real big one here, the one that really puts everything together, not just food prices, not just prices, but all the global macroeconomic factors that we've been talking about, especially global trade, that's China's producer price index. And according to the Chinese government, the NBS, the producer price index was flat in February. So again, reopening, not going well. That was after declining month over month in January. On an annual basis, China's PPI was 1.4% less in February 23 than February 22. That's the largest year-over-year -year increase in this cycle. And what you see here is that there are def defined cycles with all these things. Again, as I said before, you've got 22, 23, 2018, 2019, 2015, 2016, 2011, 2012, and of course, 2008, 2009. These are all periods that I label Euro dollars number one, two, three, four, and now five. And the reason we label them is because we have a comprehensive set of indicators showing us deflationary tendencies because of contractionary monetary conditions, which then end up plaguing the real economy in the form of a first global trade recession, which I talked about yesterday, and then a global economic recession that has varying degrees of impacts in local places. For example, in the third one, 2015 and 2016, when food prices were last falling at 20% rates, what we see is that that was particularly bad in emerging markets, which experienced something on the order of magnitude, order of like a serious recession, something like 2008, 2009 in the US and Europe, or a depression. Whereas in 2015 and 2016, Europe avoided a recession entirely while the U.S. nearly experienced one. So a global recession in these periods, which has varying impacts in local jurisdictions, all tied together to China because China makes a lot of the goods and therefore it is both an indicator of end user demand those uh, countries and those places around the world that are demanding China make these goods, as well as a transmission of that good or bad demand to the rest of the world, because China demands materials from the rest of the world in order to manufacture all the goods that it then exports everywhere else. So it would make sense that producer prices in China would therefore correlate very strongly with macroeconomic indicators of all of all these kinds. Uh, so let's do some correlations here. We look at the year-over-year -year changes on China's PPI or the factory gate prices, which is very similar. They're, they're, off, they're not off all, all that much. And what you see is that China's PPI year-over-year, -year, the factory gate prices year-over-year, -year, they swing from positive to negatives in these certain periods. You've got November 22, you've got July 2019, July 2014, April 2012, as well as later in 2008, once the global economy was caught up in what was never really about subprime mortgages. And so if we put China's PPI 
and run a chart of that against China's exports, what do we see? We see almost exact correlation. Not that not exact, nothing is ever exact, but very clearly there's a correspondence, there's a relationship, especially in the changes in direction. When China's PPI tends to fall, we see China's export business tend to decline as well. And the correlation has been especially strong really since 2016, 17, and 18, especially the downturn into 2019, global recession, got the bond market, got that one right, and then the upturn, and then now downturn 22 into 2023. Very strong correlation between China's PPI and China's exports overall. But it's not just the amount of exports that China sends to the rest of the world. We can also see a very strong correlation with Chinese exports to the United States. So specifically, U.S. demand for Chinese goods, therefore having an effect on prices. What you find is, again, over the last several years in particular, not sure why my data on Chinese exports from China only to the United States only goes back to 2019, 2018. But that's okay. I'll just substitute the Census Bureau estimates of U.S. imports into China. As you can see here, it matches anyway. And once again, U.S. imports of goods from China, very strong relationship with Chinese, China's PPI. The, 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 the uh, weakest correlation really is in that middle part, 2013-14, not so much in 2015 when Chinese exports to the U.S. started to fall off. But again, that was the, the variation in, in euro dollar number three, which was focused more on emerging markets. But still, even apart from that, there's still a, a solid correlation in that period and a really good correlation in all the other periods. But it's not just, just global trade. Global trade is where we can see these recessions develop maybe the most in, in the clearest fashion. As I mentioned yesterday, as I mentioned a couple days before, and I'll probably mention again of the couple of, as, over the next few days going forward, the OECD's leading economic indicators or, or composite leading indicators, the CLI. And this is the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, specifically these CLIs that have been developed for the G20. And once again, what do you see? A strong correlation with the individual as well as G20 as a group, CLIs with China's PPI. China's PPIs are going up year over year. That means prices in China are going up year over year, which means that generally speaking, various places around the world as well as the global economy as a whole are likely doing somewhat better. Reflationary periods, never growth periods, but reflationary periods. Conversely, China's PPI is falling, it's usually at the same time the OLE, OECDs, why I can, too, many, too many letters here, CLIs are declining too. Very strong correlation. Not just China's, as I said, here I'll put up China's uh, PPI over top of the o, OECD CLI for Germany. Again, as I mentioned in that video yesterday, this, this is, these are globally synchronized cycles. And it's been a really strong synchronization since 2018. The ups and downs match near perfectly. Not just China, not just Germany. Here's the US. The US uh, CLI from the OECD compared to China's PPI. Again, the, the place where the correlation or the period when the correlation is the weakest is Euro dollar number three because that was so focused on emerging markets. But other than that, 
the peaks and valleys are near identical, especially the periods when those peaks and valleys or the transitions from peaks to valleys or valleys to peaks is taking place. Globally synchronized. Prices falling because demand, economy, macroeconomic fundamentals, those are falling and getting worse. Let's make one more correlation here because I think it's really important to establish this last one for what I think will become very obvious reasons. We'll start again with China's PPI year over year and over top we'll overlay the World Bank pink sheets uh, index of various commodities. In this case, I'll use base metals, base metals that are used in industrial production, uh, the, the manufacture of everything that China manufactures. Therefore, it captures end user demand flowing through China as well as Chinese demand for obviously materials. And what you see is, of course, as you might expect, China's PPI matches almost perfectly with the year-over-year -year changes in the World Bank Pink Sheets Base Metals Index. Because all of these things correlate, and that, here's just another chart before we move on to that, showing how, how base metals correlate with the overall, the larger category of non-energy metals. So what we're saying here is China's PPI, it, it tells us something very important about global trade conditions, as well as commodity prices that are related to them. So what that means is that as far as commodities go, if we see China's PPI falling, which correlates with falling global trade, that's very likely to correlate further with falling commodity prices, including food. And if commodity prices are falling, including food, what does that mean for future CPIs in the United States, Europe, as well as China, Japan, and everywhere else, Australia, New Zealand, and India even? These are globally synchronized cycles. And what these indicators are all telling you, including deflationary food prices, that this is not a good thing. China struggles with its PPI. China struggles the failure of reopening. The failure of China's reopening bodes very poorly for a global system that is operating very poorly. And markets have told you all along that this was coming, that the cure for high prices would be high prices. And now that we see those high prices coming down, in one sense, in a very narrow sense, that's a good thing. It's, as far as future CPIs and Jay Powell's concerned, they might think that's a good thing. But the much wider, larger consequences are global synchronized recession. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. Huge, huge thank you to Eurodollar University members, all of them, as well as our many Eurodollar University subscribers. I cannot thank you, very, uh, thank, thank you enough or sincerely enough. And until next time, everyone, do take care.